Hello, and welcome to Design is Everywhere, the weekly podcast about design impact from Design Museum Everywhere. It's Thursday, October 29th, 2020. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano. I'm the founder and executive director of the Design Museum. I'm really excited about this week's topic because I'm hearing a lot about it and I've been wanting to learn more. Today, we're talking about building buildings out of wood, which sounds pretty normal, but no, we're talking about building tall, high-rise buildings out of wood instead of things like steel and concrete using a concept known as mass timber and construction products like cross-laminated timber. We have two experts on mass timber joining us today. Our guest co-host is Judith Shine. She's the director of design at the Tallwood Design Institute, one of the nation's first interdisciplinary research collaboratives focused on the advancement of mass timber. And Judith and I will interview our special guest, Emily Dawson. She's a partner and architect at Kaiser Path. They're a real estate and architecture firm combined, and they are responsible for Carbon 12, the tallest cross-laminated timber building in the country. And of course, we'll have our weekly dose of good design to share at the end of the episode. Before we dive into the world of mass timber buildings, some news from Design Museum Everywhere. We have some exciting presenters lined up for our Workplace Innovation Summit coming up December 7th through 11th, all over live stream. So you can attend from anywhere in the world. I'm excited to share we'll have Primo or Pilla, principal at Studio O plus A, joining us to talk about designing new space typologies for collaborative and hybrid workplace models. We'll have Nicole Schmidt. She's the CEO of Source, a revolutionary design material sourcing platform. And Leah Ben-Ami, Director of Learning at C-Space, will be in conversation with our very own Director of Learning and Interpretation, Diana Navarrete-Rakakis. They'll be talking about allyship in the workplace. Plus, you'll hear from designers from Perkins & Will, Gensler, and more. We'll keep announcing more speakers and workshops leading up to the summit. You should definitely get your tickets now during the early bird period and save some money. Visit designmuseumeverywhere.org for more information and get those tickets. All right, on to this week's topic. There's a revolution happening in real estate, architecture, and construction, and it's a revolution built out of wood. Mass timber is a term for a relatively new group of engineered wood products that rival the strength and durability of traditional steel and concrete construction for high-rise buildings. Our guest co-host can check me on these numbers, but... There are roughly 400 large mass timber buildings in the U.S. and many hundreds more on the way. There are huge environmental benefits to using wood instead of traditional construction methods. It's even weird to say that wood isn't a traditional <laughs> construction method. I suspect there are some other unexpected benefits as well. To learn all about mass timber, we have an expert guest co-host with us. Judith Shine is the Director of Design at the Tallwood Design Institute. She's been there since the Institute's founding. The Tallwood Institute is a collaboration between Oregon State University and the University of Oregon. They're focused on research and advancement of mass timber and structural wood building solutions. Judith is also a professor of architecture in the School of Design at the University of Oregon. Judith, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sam. It's my pleasure to be here and, oh, thank um, you. and to talk about mass timber. Before we actually get into mass timber, or cross-laminated timber buildings. I don't know what the right terminology is, and I'm sure you'll tell us, but can you share with our listeners sort of the typical high-rise construction methods so we can kind of compare and contrast? Sure. So typically, when you see tall buildings in construction, there are two pretty standard materials that are used in the United States. There's steel and there's concrete, and they're often used in combination. 
So typically when you see a high rise, you'll see a series of steel columns and beams, which are called wide flange. They're roughly in the shape of an I or an H. Um, and they're in that shape because really the depth is what makes them strong. Um, and um, they need a certain amount of height, but they don't need as much steel in the center. Um, and then for the floors and ceilings in a steel building, you'll generally see a combination of concrete and steel. And the concrete is actually poured into something that's called a steel decking or a steel pan, which is basically a thin folded steel plate in the shape of a bunch of hats so that this, the concrete can kind of fill into the depressions in that to make a composite, what we call a composite slab, which is very strong. Hmm. In concrete construction, um, it's more monolithic typically, um, where you have concrete columns and concrete slabs. And there's a lot of different ways of building in concrete. Uh, cast in place, um, where literally you put up formwork on the building site, uh, formwork which is made out of, you know, sometimes out of wood mm -hmm. <laughs> and other materials, <laughs> um, and concrete is poured in. That is a pretty expensive way of building because you basically have to build almost an entire building, which is the formwork, and then pour the concrete. Yeah, wow. Um, and there's also precast concrete where it's precast in a factory and brought to the site. So that's typically how high rise buildings have been built, not just here, but also, you know, around the world. Mm -hmm. um, and that is slowly changing with the development of mass timber panels um, and other forms of advanced uh, timber, some of which has been around for a very long time. But mass timber panels have really been around for about 25 years, hmm. starting in Europe, really starting in um, Austria and, and Switzerland. Nice. Yeah. Tell us about mass timber. I, like I said, I hear the word mass timber. I hear the, what is it? Uh, CLT, cross laminated timber. Are those interchangeable? What does it all mean? Well, cross laminated timber is a type of mass timber, but there are many types of mass timber. So um, in the old days, when we felt perfectly okay, apparently, about taking very big trees and cutting them up to use to <laughs> make buildings, um, you had massive uh, pieces of wood that you used for columns and beams. Mm -hmm. But um, various forms of engineered timber um, have been around for a very long time. And really, engineered timber takes smaller pieces or layers of wood and glues them together to make big, strong pieces of timber either in columns or beams or in panels. And mm. most people know about plywood, which has been yeah. around for a very long time, where you basically take a log and put it on a spit and rotate it and shave <laughs> off thin veneers until you um, uh, have enough and then you glue them together, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you often cross laminate those so that the grain goes one way in some layers and the other way in other layers. And that makes it very strong in both directions. Gotcha. Another form of mass timber that's been around for a long time are glued laminated beams, where you take basically a bunch of two by fours or two by six dimensional lumber, which everybody's pretty familiar with, and you glue those together to make stronger columns and beams. And just like in a steel wide flange where it's kind of fat at the top and thin in the middle, with a glue lamb, you often put the better species of woods out at the edges and mm. the lesser species in the middle where you need less strength. So it's a similar kind of idea. But it's there's also some work being done now looking at, um, especially in Europe, looking at layering um, layer, thinner layers of hardwood in and more variations on types. Gotcha. And is that creating um, a panel then? Yes, those create very, very large panels that are up to about 10 feet wide 
and wow. as much as 60 feet long wow. and come in. They started about a little over four inches and can go up from there, uh, typically up to about 10, 10 plus inches. Yeah. So now I have a good sense of the products. How is constructing a building using mass timber different than you know a traditional high rise? Well, there are a number of differences. Um, like precast concrete, the parts are made, you know, the panels and columns and beams can be made off site. Mm. Um, and unlike precast concrete, they can also be digitally manufactured and fabricated off site yeah, nice. um, quickly and easily. So again, you can cut out doors and windows and um, make cuts for uh, steel connections um, and cut them into whatever shapes you want. And you can also do it very efficiently with digital modeling. So the advantages to that are that you can use the material really efficiently and really minimize waste yeah. and minimize construction waste. And also they can be brought to the site extremely efficiently. They're, they're, not, they're not what we call a commodity product. You can't go to the lumber store and say, oh, right. can I have a CLT panel? Right. Instead, they're made custom. And then mm. they're loaded on the truck. Pretty much, you know, they should be loaded on the truck in the order in which you need to take them off the truck when you put mm -hmm. them in the building. So they really minimize construction waste, noise, and the time of construction. I bet. And another big difference is that the wood panels are much lighter than the steel mm. and concrete ones, which also minimizes both the weight and size of the concrete foundations. So, you know, those use less material, take less time to pour. So there are a number of advantages to them. And of course, you know, there's the idea that they sequester carbon. Yeah, what a nice thing. Can you expl actually explain what that means for our listeners? Because that's a, feels like the one of the biggest benefits. Carbon, um, and probably most people know this, is stored in trees. And when you cut down trees um, and use them in buildings, the carbon is still stored within the tree. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there is a certain amount of carbon that gets used up in logging and in the manufacture of timber, but vastly less than in the manufacture and construction process for steel or concrete, vastly, vastly less. Mm -hmm. And that that's a big advantage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talk to me about, are there limitations to this type of construction? Like, I, I think, you know, people in, in cities probably are, have seen buildings go up and you see like the concrete core getting up really high. Is there a height limitation? Like, what what's well, like the constraints there? Well, there are building code limitations. Mm. Um, and um, the um, 2021 um, IBC, International Building Code, um, finally included, we're very happy about this, um, three new categories for heavy timber buildings that actually allow timber buildings to go up to 18 stories in mm. height. Now, how codes are adopted is a fairly complex thing. It's not even that they're adopted necessarily by each state. They really have to be adopted even locally. So by each yeah, city. Yeah. And, right. you know, for example, most cities take about two years to adopt it. New York City tends to take three years or more. So <laughs> that those vary. But um, both um, Oregon and Washington State proactively adopted those codes um, uh, back in a couple of years ago, as soon as they came out in the IBC. And California either just did or is about to, because I'm they approved it, but I'm not quite sure what stage that's in. It still means that engineers have to go through a certain amount of um, performance calculations to show that what they're doing works, but they can go that tall by code. They theoretically can go taller. There's a number of theoretical projects 
that have made them go taller. But in general, you can, um, you know, you can do an all wood building even in a seismic zone, theoretically, at uh. 18 stories or more, hmm. um, because there's new lateral force resisting systems. In other words, systems that resist earthquakes. How about the one thing I uh, read about a lot? You know, it's also just like the first thing that comes to mind is fire. And how, fire. how does a fire? Oh my God, wood burns. <laughs> yeah, by the way, everything burns. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, how does that play into um, the thinking? What sort of research is being done uh, around that? Well, as you can imagine, that's probably the most frequently asked question. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, if you think about wood as a big log, right? So, say you're starting a campfire or a fire at your fireplace. In general, you start that fire, well, sometimes with a newspaper, but often with kindling, with small sticks, and those burn. Mm -hmm. And that's what we think about when we think about fire burning a wood building. In general, in this country, you know, smaller buildings are built out of light wood frame construction, two bys, two by fours, two by sixes, and those do burn pretty easily. But when you have a big log in the fire, it chars up to a certain point mm -hmm. and then stops burning. It's why you have to keep throwing more stuff on it. And that's, that's what happens with big old growth timbers, but also with mass timber. So we've done, you know, as you can imagine, the Institute has done a bunch of tests and there are a bunch of tests going around on, in Canada, the um, National Research Center there has done a number of tests. And what you do um, is build in what we call a char layer. So mm. when you engineer the panels or the beams and columns, you build in an extra layer that can char and still allow for the safe holding up of the building. Interesting. And there's a really famous old photograph that has been around a lot. Um, from the Forest Products Lab, um, which is U.S. Forest Service, which shows a big charred timber beam holding up two completely melted steel beams. <laughs> right? It's like, this is what after the fire, that's what's Here left is the timber. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a frequently asked question, but when you're talking about massive timber, um, in fact, what fire marshals like to see is that the steel connections between timber panels or between beams and columns and panels they prefer those to be completely and totally hidden by the timber because the timber actually wow. acts as a fire protection for those steel <laughs> connectors. There yeah. you go. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Last question, and it's it's a big one, but you know, for folks listening, what are the key benefits of mass timber that you want them to remember? Well, one um, that we've discussed is this idea of carbon sequestration. Is that mm -hmm. it is a really sustainable product, and you know, given where we are with climate change, maybe ideally you never want to cut another tree, but the issue is we're not going to start stop building. We're not mm -hmm. going to stop building. We have an increasing population. There's projections about how much more square footage we're going to need just to house everybody. And I think some people know there's a worldwide sand shortage, which is already right. an issue for yeah. concrete. So and we can grow trees, right? And we can grow trees, right? And you can grow them sustainably and manage forests sustainably. In fact, um, in order to deal with forest management sustainably, they're looking at all sorts of forest restoration processes now, including, you know, culling smaller logs out of the forest for forest health. And one of the research projects that we have faculty working on um, is one looking at ponderosa pine coming out of eastern Oregon um, forests and looking at the structural properties of that and cross-limited timber. So it, it has a lot of advantages in terms of carbon sequestration. As you said, yep, you can grow trees and you can also increase forest health by thinning in the right way and we're looking again at using and worldwide they're looking at all kinds of species that need to be thinned for various reasons and looking at using those and also again it's it's a lighter material so you save on foundations 
by digitally manufacturing it and designing it, you can actually be incredibly efficient about Plan using ahead. it and yeah, and minimizing waste. And the thing about that is it actually requires an amazing amount of integration at the beginning between the architect, the engineers, the construction firm, and the manufacturer and the fabricators. And that's a huge advantage. I and mean, you mm -hmm. can get much better, much more efficient buildings by coordinating at the beginning. And good mass timber design really requires that. Mm. But um, altogether, you know, and of course, we in the Pacific Northwest believe this. We think wood is beautiful. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of studies being done now in biophilic design showing that, you know, people are healthier and more productive in wood environments. So there's a lot of reasons that it seems to make sense. We had an interesting study done that we funded that was done in one of our University of Oregon labs, our Institute for Health in the Built Environment, where they looked at how do you get to net zero with mass timber? Because, you know, um, you don't have the thermal mass of concrete in it. Well, we have something called a climate chamber in that institute. They did some experiments with it and found that um, if you have an interior that is covered in wood versus other materials, in fact, you can heat or cool that interior two and a half degrees Fahrenheit less to achieve the same comfort. Level. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And which is very interesting, but it makes a huge difference in terms of BTU. The idea that you can um, make something that people feel happy and healthy in that sequesters carbon that is made from a renewable resource um, can minimize construction waste and construction time because it goes up so incredibly quickly, which has a lot of other advantages and construction noise and mess and dust, right? All of those are some of the many benefits yeah. to using mass timber. And That's from so architect's great. point of view, you know, looks great. Yeah. Right. And we'll hear, hear more of that from Emily, I'm sure. Thank you mm -hmm. so much for this primer on mass timber and for sharing all your expertise today. Oh, thank you. Yeah, listeners, you can learn more about mass timber design and construction from the Tallwood Design Institute. They produce events and meetups and other educational programs on this topic. Check it all out at tallwoodinstitute.org. And Judith, stay with us, and we'll bring Emily Dawson from Kaiser Half to continue our conversation. Join us December 7th through 11th for our fifth annual Workplace Innovation Summit an immersive five-day virtual event experience focused on the future of how and where we work. At the Workplace Innovation Summit, you'll learn directly from the experts and become an expert yourself by engaging in meaningful conversations to develop your during and post-COVID workplace strategy. Topics include augmenting existing spaces, wellness and workplace culture, equity in the workplace, collaborative technology, and more. You'll experience keynote presentations, interactive workshops, and virtual networking opportunities. Visit designmuseumeverywhere.org to learn more. Let's connect, reflect, reform, and shape what happens next in the workplace at the 2020 Workplace Innovation Summit. Attend virtually from anywhere in the world December 7th through 11th. Get your tickets today at designmuseumeverywhere.org. We're back and we're joined by our special guest. Emily Dawson is an architect and partner at Kaiser Path, a real estate and architecture firm in Portland, Oregon, and a leader in mass timber design and development. Emily is a born and raised Alaskan who was drawn to architecture by her desire to improve the way communities impact the natural environment. And in her past experience, she's worked on designing the first cross laminated timber structure in Oregon as part of an expansion of the Oregon Zoo. Pretty cool. Emily, thanks so much for joining us. 
Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're glad to have you for this discussion. Uh, I'd love to start out and just hear more about Kaiser Path. It seems like a very interesting um, combination of real estate, architecture, and then I'd love to also hear about why the focus on mass timber. Sure. Yeah, it's true. Our business model is rather unique. We're sort of three legs of the stool when it comes to approaching a construction project. We represent the owner as well as the designer and the contractor. So mm. we can come at projects really holistically. And because we're a small firm, we can also make decisions pretty quickly and decide to take on maybe a little bit of risk uh, <laughs> in, a, in a way that feels good for all of us. And and then we can we can work on projects that maybe haven't been done before, which is how we really got into mass timber. And we we actually got into mass timber by doing a really successful project using a technique that's a century old with glue lamp beams and car decking, and uh, was very common a hundred years ago. You still see a lot of buildings standing um, that are um, you know just doing great. <laughs> yeah. From from that time period. And it had such a market success. There was just such a great reaction to it. The lease up was excellent. Our tenant turnover was so low. Uh, after it opened, we actually had an unsolicited offer to buy that building several years after it was built. It just led right into looking at other ways to use wood. And of course, cross-laminated timber was new on the market, very interesting, very logical, really. Mm -hmm. It's an intuitive way to use the material. It just makes sense, especially with the diameter trees that we're logging these days. And so we really wanted to push the limits of what we thought, the not just what the material could do, but what the jurisdiction would allow, because at the time it was not an allowable design in <laughs> Oregon. Um, but luckily the state was really interested in supporting innovative uses of wood to support mm. the timber economy. And so we had a path, it was an unusual path, to take that building to market. But we were just so compelled by the use of it and felt like the climate change solution potential was so important to us and important to really help the building industry see this as a viable a viable product and a viable new method. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, I wanna get into that. Can you share some recent projects? Um, I have a couple in mind from the website that I saw, but I'd be curious you know, what y'all are working on, what y'all are proud of at this point. Definitely. We are finishing a building right now as we speak. It's actually open. The There are tenants moving into our project, The Canyons, which is right next to Carbon 12 in Portland. And it is a lot more conventional than Carbon 12 in terms of construction type. It mm. is actually uh, uses old um, construction type from the old code. <laughs> uh, it's a type three structure. So it's actually a very typical type three over one um, building. So a concrete podium and then five floors of cross-laminated timber floors and light framed shear walls in between. So as far as uh, jurisdictional approvals went, it was very smooth. And it is um, from a fire safety standpoint, actually um, fairly conventional too, when you think about uh, the built-in char rating of the CLT. So we're really excited about that one opening up Partly because, too, one, we always have to do something a little bit unconventional in our projects <laughs> to, to sort of investigate something something new. So instead of a 
double loaded corridor that you would typically see in an apartment building where you have apartment doors on both sides as you walk down the hallway. We have an open air atrium. It is covered by skylights, but it acts as a sort of a passive ventilation strategy through the entire shared space of the building, which we came to that idea with the idea that it would increase the sense of community in the building. So you understand where your neighbors are in relation to you throughout the entire building. Yeah, that's cool. I want to touch back on the, because you had mentioned like the people aspect, people living in these spaces uh, because it, Carbon 12 is is the other project mm-hmm. I saw. And is that is that the tallest cross-lam building in the U.S. still? In the United States, in the United still, States. I believe. I, yeah. I'm i sure it's going to be surpassed any day. There's which so would many be projects great, that right? are, yeah, which would yeah. be great. Um, yeah. There's so many projects that have been proposed, and, and a lot of them have even broken ground at this point. So Nice. I'd love to hear more about Carbon 12, and then also like what you're actually hearing from the people who are living there. Carbon 12 is... Uh, it, you know, it's an interesting shift in the luxury condo market because you're not typically in those spaces looking at an exposed structural material, mm-hmm. which you are in this case. And there is a little bit of education that goes along with showing a project like that. However, it is so beautiful. And the fasteners that we chose really take advantage of the tight tolerances that you can get with an engineered lumber product. So uh, we used concealed fasteners. It's a very refined, very, very tight fit. For the most part, when people are in the buildings, they absolutely just love being in the spaces. For that biophilic effect, you know, we're just naturally attracted to wood surfaces. It makes us feel calm. It makes us feel happy and good. And because of the orientation of the beams and columns, you're, you, we can just get so much more light into the building. It's just yeah. it really creates a beautiful, a beautiful space, right? And in general, um, Emily, I guess you're building in Portland, but um, it does seem that local jurisdictions, for example, Hillsboro outside Portland has been extremely enthusiastic about welcoming <laughs> mass timber buildings mm-hmm. and their building department and planning authorities seem eager to be able to make those um, you know, building permits happen. Has that been your experience increasingly in the city of Portland, that the building department's been more and more open? Absolutely. There their role is to be conservative of course mm-hmm. that is really what they're there for it's to you know make sure that buildings are going through the permitting process that are tested approved safe and there there's data to back it all up so they have had to go through the process of exploration with all of us but there's something about wood that is inherently lovable yeah. and and exciting and we just can't kind of help but but love it. So I think people I've seen the the city of Portland folks get more and more excited about it the more they learn about it. And I think mm. I think Tallwood's done such a great job too of connecting all of the stakeholders in a project in an educational forum that is supportive to everybody's concerns and needs and it's really helped that communication a lot. Yeah. Thank you, Emily. Right. Because <laughs> we think so. Because we we are, the our Institute is actually supported by the state legislature. And oh, wow. it's as much about environmental stewardship as it is about economic development, perhaps more about economic development, exactly as Emily said, that, you know, by creating these new mass timber plants in rural communities, it begins to bring back timber jobs, which have been lost. And yeah. timber jobs 
you know, which are actually high paying because they're high tech. And we're working on doing training for those high tech jobs as well. But it's, it's, I mean, timber is so much part of the historic, you know, economic engine of the state um, that trying to find ways to revive that industry sustainably. So you use small diameter logs and, you know, you know, that that's been a huge priority in the state. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm curious, actually, this could be for both of you, maybe start, start with Judith, but what's going to drive adoption of this nationwide, worldwide, or I guess already Europe, you mentioned this is already happening. So let's keep to the United States. What's going to drive it um, from your perspective? It's interesting. When our, when our institute started, it was actually the brainchild of the uh, Dean of the College of Forestry at OSU, Thomas Mattis, who unfortunately passed away after this was realized. But um, he, uh, I was the head of the Department of Architecture at University of Oregon at the time, and he asked me if I would join him in this founding of a joint research institute, because he recognized quite early that architects are really the drivers of new materials. Sure. You know, we tend to be, well, first of all, we often pick the materials, we advocate for the materials, we're the ones who are like, yeah, it's a cool new material I want to use it. The engineers are sometimes more cautious, you know, worry more about life safety, whereas we're the ones saying, let's try it, you know, yeah, like yeah. Emily did with the, um, you know, first CLT installation in Oregon up at the, um, at, with the Oregon Zoo. So I think it's a combination of things, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, issues about climate change um, will drive it. I think architects, you know, Absolutely, because we think it's beautiful and exciting and sustainable will drive it. And I think that um, places that have um, rural timber economies and see economic development, that's also a big driver. Yeah, that'll get people's attention any day. Yeah, absolutely. How about, Emily, from an architecture standpoint, how do you see adoption growing in the architecture community? I agree with Judith that such a climate change is just the pressing issue of our time. And it is a fascinating way to potentially have a solution for it. Mm-hmm. I agree with Judith also that it's, as an architect, it's a very exciting place to be mm-hmm. in sort of the center of that discussion yeah, yeah. where you're just, you're communicating both with manufacturers for the first time. You kind of start to go back to this master builder concept of mm. collaborating with trades directly and working with manufacturers, starting to think about sourcing for the first time. I mean, this, there's no other material right now that has this depth of discussion that's so that's connecting so many communities. And these communities really have very diverse backgrounds and oh. ideals and opinions. And and we're connecting. Yeah, that's it's awesome. such an important thing to be happening right now. And we're doing it together. We're making really big, complicated projects happen together because it's really satisfying. It's beautiful. Mm. It's fun. It's good for everybody. There's just a really incredible conversation happening right now around timber. And so I see that spreading because it's it it feels generative. It feels inclusive. It feels really positive. There there's a lot to figure out about how it relates to material extraction and mm-hmm. forestry. And that's sure. super exciting, especially as we've just gone through for Oregon and for Portland, the hardest wildfire season we've seen. And we're able to have a conversation within our professional community about what to do with it, about it. It gets past a lot of some of the hangups yeah, that yeah. we've yeah. had. In it feels the past. genuine, genuine you know, problem solving. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. it's an issue that has had huge bipartisan support 
There you go. <laughs> and, and this time, if you can find that, you got a winner. Yeah. And we may see more firms like Emily's, like Kaiser Path, you know, where you can integrate, you know, architecture, development, construction. You already have three of the pieces all working really closely together. And I think that we're likely to see more of that. Um, one of our faculty members at OSU, Lech Mijinsky, did a, a series of charts showing all these different ways of vertically integrating. So for example, you know, Nordic um, uh, in Quebec, in Canada, they own timber forests, they own sawmills, they make CLT, they do the engineering for the timber and the installation, you know. Wow. But, and yeah. then there's other firms like Emily's, which do a different piece, but they also coordinate various pieces. So there's a lot of what I guess what that's what we call it vertical integration, yes. where there's a lot of firms that do a lot of pieces of it rather mm -hmm. than people who just do one thing. But there's also firms that just do one thing that then yeah, fill you know, the gaps and fill the gaps yeah. and also work in these more integrated groups. But I think that there, it's moving towards more vertical integration. Hmm. You may have heard of this organization called Katera, which is trying to integrate absolutely everything. And we'll see how that works out, right? It's, sure. it's very interesting. But um, mm -hmm. in the meantime, there's smaller groups working in various pieces of that integration that like Kaiser Path are doing really interesting, innovative work. Hmm. Emily, what, what gets you excited from like a design perspective? Like when you're actually designing, Judith talked about like CNC and like what, what can mm -hmm. actually be done. I'm wondering from your perspective, like how is this material going to basically change how architects design buildings? I get really excited the more into off-site fabrication the conversation mm. goes and this goes into you you also have to have a vertically integrated model on the manufacturing side to be able to do this so similarly to the way that we practice design and build and develop you sort of need a factory that has a lot of different trades uh, all together putting together multiple components into a single more complex component can, that can then be installed really quickly. Yeah, on like site. basically it's a product. Yeah. Right? It becomes it's a, a product. Yeah. Yeah. And and the advantages are all in the construction schedule and reduced risk in construction, mm -hmm. where there's a lot of risk. I mean, if we just look at the project that we're just finishing up right now, the pandemic hurt us, the smoke hurt us. I mean, it's <laughs> These are these are things you could never have foreseen, but they shut down our project site and they added a lot of cost. If our schedule was tightened up, it just eliminates potential risk just because time keeps happening yeah. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and uh, new adventures present themselves. So um, it also just reduces the impact on the neighborhood, on traffic, sound. There's just so many great reasons to do it. Um, right now, it's not economically or really logistically super viable, but it is becoming more so there are companies that are starting to look at um, how to pull off more and more offsite fabrication. So mm -hmm. I see that's what really excites me about Mass Timber, aside from it being really beautiful and fun to work with. So yeah, last question from me is for both of you, because I think I'd just love to hear, um, we're in this like revolution, it feels like. And I, I love what you're saying, Emily, about just like the collaborative nature and the, the people nature. What's like your dream project in this space? I, I, I have to say that I have two dream projects, if I may. One of them, and I've been trying to, or I've got a pair of projects and then a dream anyway. So I've been trying to get some 
modular mass timber projects going mm. since this started, really maybe a year before the Institute started. And I've been working <laughs> both on trying to get some modular mass timber classrooms going and some modular mass timber housing going. It's a very long story. There's no time to talk about here, but there's enormous interest in the state on, on achieving what we've called the trifecta, that if you can manage to make affordable housing out of mass timber, so you provide affordable housing, which is desperately needed, and at the same time, create great high paying jobs, getting value mm -hmm. added out of sustainably managed forests in rural communities, you've just hit it Everybody all. Economic wins. development, environmental, affordable housing. So we've been, I've been working on those. We haven't quite gotten a pilot project yet. We've been close a couple of times. The last one, COVID unfortunately stopped, but I'm very optimistic. And then that's a dream. And on the other hand, I'm also very excited about the possibility of doing um, real research in using digital fabrication in mm -hmm. the stuff that is maybe not not as tightly tied to current industry, but where we can really start looking at advanced manufacturing um, processes and products to optimize structural um, uses of timber in a way that people have not imagined before. Because that's, aside from the applied research, which is fantastic, the idea of moving it, that's how CLT got invented. Sure. You know, so that is another thing I'm incredibly excited about. Yeah, that sounds like a natural next step. I love that. Emily, how about you? A dream project? Dream project. I I actually um, have to say something quite similar to Judas is that <laughs> we really feel very excited about the idea that our next project after doing class A office space, luxury condo building, and then market rate apartments is really now to move into the affordable market. That's great. Uh, affordable housing space. It just feels it is critical. It doesn't just feel critical. It just is critical <laughs> to get affordable housing out there. And if Mass Timber can do it exactly like Judith was saying, it just hits all the marks. Yeah, it seems and, aligned. And we have um, the U.S. Forest Service asked us to enter into a collaborative agreement with them over the next 12 months to study possibilities along this route, not only from a design standpoint, so how do you approach it on the design side, but also with them starting to think about how sourcing might change gotcha. and looking at federal forests mm. through the lens of affordable housing. Yeah, that's huge. Oh my gosh. I mean, y'all are solving all the world's ills <laughs> with We're this. Trying. And, it's, and, I'm, it's, and I'm not saying that's sarcastic. It's very real. Yeah. I, it's really exciting. Um, uh, thank you both. I learned a lot. And thank you, Emily, for joining us and sharing your experience. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, listeners, be sure to check out Emily and the team at Kaiser Path's work, including their work on Carbon 12 and other mass timber building projects. Visit their website, kaiserpath.com. Now it's time for our weekly dose of good design, where we each share an example of good design that impacted us or others in a meaningful way. I'll kick it off. This week, I'm really excited uh, about this uh, preschool box subscription that we've been using. Uh, my daughter, Rafi, loves it. It's called Joey School. First, I should say I'm really grateful to my wife, <laughs> who uh, works from home, and uh, she has a tableware business. Uh, that she makes and sells. Um, but that flexibility actually allows us to um, have Joey School. And I know we have a lot of privilege to actually afford it. 
Um, but it's meaningful because we decided not to send Rappy to preschool this year. Um, and neither of us are teachers. <laughs> and it's really neat. Uh, Joey School was started by two teachers, uh, Miss Melanie and Miss KT. Uh, they developed this great curriculum that's a mix of arts activities, movement, math, music, and more. And I love that they refined this curriculum like in their actual classrooms and then had this you know brilliant idea to package it into this subscription. And so each box comes every month with lesson plans and videos and uh, perfect for parents of three to six-year-olds uh, who are at home and looking for ways to teach their kids. And I've just been amazed. My daughter, she's three and she's learning how to write her letters. It comes this like plastic sleeve that my wife will like write words on. And then you slide that paper into this plastic sleeve and Rafi then traces over it with a dry erase marker. Uh, there's Play-Doh, there's alphabet songs. It's all really simple stuff with just a little creative twist. And that's the fun part. So we don't have a ton of time, even though Nicole's at home and it just makes it so easy to do. So everybody wins. And I know uh, at the end of each month, Rafi is always looking forward to her next Joey School box. So that's my weekly dose. Judith, what are you thinking about this week? Well, I'm always thinking about Mass Timber, as you probably know. Some, so <laughs> I thought I'd just plug a few really interesting examples of it because there's lots of beautiful examples of um, office buildings and and uh, residential work. But I, I thought I'd talk about a few that are more kind of out there that are really interesting. Almost anything by the Japanese architect Shigeru Ban, uh, the Tom Media Building and, and the Swatch uh, Buildings in uh, Switzerland um, are amazing examples of what you can do um, with advanced timber. He works with the Bloomer Lehman uh, Workshop, which is outside Zurich, which we visited on a trip there as well oh, as nice. some of the buildings. And it's amazing what they can fabricate and the kinds of shapes and to amazing tolerances. Um, another interesting project in Zurich is the Elephant House at the Zurich Zoo, <laughs> which is um, a, a young architect, Marcus Scheich. I'm not sure I pronounced his last name correctly, won a competition. And it's like a 280-meter oh, spanning roof yeah. Yeah, of CLT, which he wanted to look like a jungle canopy. So it's punctured with this, uh, mm -hmm. you know, these um, uh, plastic pillows, essentially, of... Um, for uh, that are insulated for skylights and we we also got to visit that and oh, it, nice. it was really pretty amazing yeah and i just um saw a talk by a chilean architect whose name i'm about to mangle but it's sebastian <laughs> erarzaval and um he showed some woodwork we were supposed to have the world conference in timber engineering in august in santiago chile well it's now just been officially postponed till next august and we're hoping we can go then but 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 they had some you know talks in the meantime and he showed his work and one particularly beautiful project was um a public library he did and i'm going to get mangled this too but it's, i think it's Con constitucion chile mm. and um though and it, very beautiful projects i mean there's there's tons of projects around the world and if you look at uh, the woodworks and thinkwood sites they both compile a lot of information nice. on these and award-winning products so hmm, i to recommend those. those yeah and the other thing I wanted to talk about is um, what I seem to have devoted an enormous amount of my life to. It seems like it's all mass timber, but <laughs> I actually, before I got into mass timber, I I um, was mostly known for my work on an architect named R.M. Schindler, who mm -hmm. was born in Vienna, came to the U.S., worked for Wright, and then settled in Los Angeles, and had his own practice there from 1921 through 1953 when he passed away. And I've written a number of books on Schindler, and um, I'm still on the board of the Schindler House. 
And um, the Schindler House in West Hollywood, I encourage you to visit when it opens again after the pandemic. <laughs> it's generally open to the public, though not nice. right now. Um, it's the first modern house built anywhere in the United States or the West or in Europe. It's, wow. it's really amazing. Wow. And it was finished in May of 1922, and we will be celebrating its centennial then. We, we have um, a cooperation agreement with the Austrian government so that the Museum of Applied Arts, the MAC in Vienna, runs programs out of our house. It's nice. the MAC Center at the Schindler House. And the MAC is planning a big Schindler exhibit, and the MAC Center is planning some things. But our board is planning several things ourselves, including nice. we hope to show um, a brand new movie by a filmmaker named um, Valentina Geneva. Geneva, I, I probably mispronounced her last name too, <laughs> who's made a, a really terrific movie that she's finishing on um, on Schindler and his work. Nice. Um, and uh, we hope to have some other fun events, like maybe some historical reenactments of key moments in Schindler's life. I love and, it. Well, you know, it's West Hollywood. We have we gotta some be fun. acting. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. going to be fun. We're going to have, and that'll be in spring or summer of 22. So nice. Yeah. So we're looking forward to those events. And again, That's if you're awesome. ever in town, when, when things open up again, please go visit the house. Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's really, it's my favorite building in Southern California, but of course I'm a little biased. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Those are so good. And thank you so much for being here. This was really a delight. Thank you very much. And uh, it's always it's always great to be able to talk both about Mass Timber and about ah, Schindler. Totally. Mm-hmm. I great. love it. And that's our show for this week. Big thanks to Judith Shine and Emily Dawson for chatting with us today. Thank you all for listening. We're here every Thursday with new episodes, diving into all sorts of design-related topics. So be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, we'll post links to some of the stuff we discussed on our episode page visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on podcast. Also, remember to grab your tickets for the Workplace Innovation Summit happening December 7th through 11th. We are planning a really cool virtual event on the future of how and where we work, including topics ranging from organization design and culture to new types of spaces that are responding to this new hybrid work from home, work from office type living. And uh, we're all part of this new level of creative collaboration. So get your tickets on our website. Uh, you'll see it right on the homepage. You can also find us on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at design underscore museum. And on Instagram, we're at design museum everywhere. And we're also on Facebook and LinkedIn. This episode was written by me, Sam Aquilano. We're produced by Ryan Flom. And we're edited by Amanda Martinez. Our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave. For the whole team here at Design Museum Everywhere, thanks for listening, and we'll talk again next week.